Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Welcome back. This is Jeremy, and on this latest episode, I welcome Chris Keen. Chris Keen is from Number One Gun, Surrogate, as well as the currently in the band Emery, Bocce, and the touring guitarist for the band Saves the Day. Chris and I talk about all the records and tours he's done in the past. It's just a cool conversation and to hear his perspective on music in general and how cathartic it is for him. Just a really, really cool opportunity to talk to an amazing artist. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this latest episode with Chris Keen. Chris, what's up, dude? How are you, man? Jeremy, I'm well, man. How are you? Good, man. Just uh, enjoying the beautiful day in Florida. How, how's that? How's the day for you so far? Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's been uh, season un- un- <laughs> unseasonably cold in, in uh, the part of California I live in. But the last couple of days have been just gorgeous. I'm taking That's advantage awesome. of all I can. Yeah, That's, yeah. I uh, my kids live in Los Angeles area, and so I definitely right. enjoy going out there, um, and because it's you know gorgeous. But yeah, I'm a Florida boy at heart. But I, I definitely get why people <laughs> people love the West Coast. Yeah, man. What I'm curious. I've always kind of thought that Southern California and Florida share. A little bit of like social DNA. Do you do you feel that at all, or is there like is it so stark that it might it might be down south? I live in Jacksonville, so Jacksonville's like it's like the redneck of Florida, if you will. I mean, <laughs> and I say that with utmost respect because I absolutely love it here. It's amazing. It's incredible. But it definitely is like the redheaded stepchild of of the cities in Florida. So it definitely doesn't okay. have that charm or the well, it does have charm. I take that back. It doesn't have yeah. the LA-ness like Miami or even like you know like the money and the yeah yeah I mean there's money yeah. here but it's not Miami money you know so. yeah totally but I yeah that. I my wife and I enjoy it here we love it um it's a, it's a little big town you know we have a football yeah. team that whole totally. thing so it's cool I, it's a cheap beach <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I, I, yeah I think that there's I've always kind of noticed like just growing up outside of both of those environments. I'm like, I'm not close to the beach where I live. And, uh, I think that there's something about like the, the, like how warm it is. And like, like, I don't know, there's not having the threat of weather really to ruin. Like, I don't know. No, no, it makes sense. It's a weird, weird theory of I've been working on. I mean, down here it's great you know, rain a ton in the summer, but it, that's what makes it so green. But yeah, totally. You know, it's only rains for like an hour or whatever. And it, yeah. it's no, I get it. It's makes complete sense. It's just a, uh, you know, one of the, uh, I love seeing the sun. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it attracts people, the uh, sun chasers, right? Yeah, both, both absolutely. Places. Sweet man. Well, yeah. I wanted to, um, you know, what have you been up to lately? Tell me what you got going on and, and, uh, see what, um, we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, um, I am, uh, still wor- working with the Emory boys. I'm uh, an official member now Oh wow! As, as of this year, which is That's very amazing. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We've got, um, a new record that we're working on and, uh, we shot a special kind of in your neck of the woods, um, the in shallow seas, live performance in uh, in tampa oh uh, that when was that 
That was in October, November, November. Man, if I'd have known that it came down, I didn't realize that. Uh, oh shoot! Yeah, we just kind of it was sort of a under the radar thing. We we had yeah, yeah. a uh, video screen stage that we got access to, so we took full advantage and very cool. And so, yeah, so we're we're kind of mixing that right now, getting that into fight and shape, and so yeah, that's been keeping me busy. And then I have a a project that I have. Uh, I started with some friends to do some commercially uh, facing music um, called Bachi and uh, just wrap up our new record. Um, we just put some finishing touches on it last weekend, actually. So it's off to off to be mastered soon. Hopefully get some TV movie placements with that. That's awesome. Um, you know, just chasing that, that passive income, man. That's really cool, man. I love hearing that. Yeah. That's uh really cool that you are getting yourself busy enough that you've got, you know, not only Emory, but you know, other things going on in your life. And it's just, it's cool that yeah. you can stay busy doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's, I feel like in this environment, especially at the level that I'm at, if you're not kind of, kind of a hustler, you're going to, you yeah. know, work part-time at McDonald's yeah. <laughs> between tours. Yeah. So it's my way to, you know, kind of keep, keeping the game. No, I get however that. I can. Yeah. That's, that's super rad. Um, so I kind of want to go back to when you and I first met. Um, uh, we were talking earlier. Yeah. I know it was in Jacksonville. It was on Emory's tour bus at yeah. Emory Hill Theater. I, I remember specifically when I met you, I, w- I knew your name because I was a big surrogate fan. And, you know, I just was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like I, you know, <laughs> it was really cool to meet you just in general. But I just thought it was cool. Uh, likewise. In the moment. And then I was like, well, and then when I reached out to you, I was like, I don't know if you ever remember me. But I was like, <laughs> you know, it was like one of those things. I, I just I kind of keep tabs on, you know, people. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is this is cool. I love what you've everything you've ever done, which is cool. And, oh, uh, yeah, thanks. so I kind of remember those times and that was a, that was a cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, it stuck in my mind. I, I we just kind of had a pretty easy time conversation yeah. wise and like, uh, that's always, you know, it's always a good sign. So I was, I was happy you reached out, man. Absolutely, man. Sweet. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, why don't you tell me, uh, kind of your growing up, uh, how it was for you, yeah. uh, what you, what put you on this path to music and kind of your influences and let's go from there. Totally. Um, yeah, so I was, a um, raised in a very religious, like Christian home, um, was homeschooled, didn't have a ton of like social, social skills <laughs> for the first part of my life. Um, but my dad's a musician and he always kind of wanted music to be part of my education. So started on piano when I was five and then, uh, you know, saved up from a paper route, um, to buy my first bass, uh, when I was 13 and started playing in like my youth group worship team and then started playing punk rock with my friends. And, uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. And, um, yeah, when I was, so I was born and raised in Chico and, um, right after high school, my friend, uh, Chris Armstrong, who I played punk yeah, rock with. I know Chris. Yeah, Chris is great. Yeah, yeah. He moved down to San Luis Obispo, met um, Nate Henry and and Dan Coke, and started yeah. Sherwood. It was, it was actually called um, A Long Story Short back then, and okay. it was just a three piece. Dan played drums, and Chris played guitar, and Nate played uh, bass and sang. Um, and then they wanted to add a keyboard player, so they convinced me to move down, which was about six hours outside of Chico, down to San Luis Obispo. And I didn't, I didn't have shit going on. I was uh, failing out of my uh, junior college. <laughs> <laughs> was looking for something a little bit more stimulating to do, and they were planning on, you know, making a real go of it, trying to do a real record and and tour and stuff. So I moved down there. Wrote some songs with them, and uh, and tracked their first EP um with them and then uh right before they started touring i got a call from uh like the hometown heroes back in chico that i grew up really admiring um they were a band called number one gun and they had just lost a guitar player and uh, knew that i could sing harmonies and was looking to tour so they hit me up and so i quit sherwood and moved back home (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i guess that wasn't a bad move on on both parts you know they they wound up being you know doing doing their own thing totally totally it was it was a i didn't i mean i moved at the time because it was turnkey you know like number one gun had their record out on floodgate at that point and yeah 
and uh, was touring already and Sherwood still had a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of a time to establish themselves. So, um, so but it, it did turn out like it was sort of six on one hand, half a dozen on the other. Yeah. Yeah. They ended up kind of being in a pretty equal size band. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. What um, at that time when you were growing up, what's some what's some of the records that um, you kind of influenced to you become yeah. or became, I guess I should say. Totally. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I was raised on like Newsboys and Amy Grant. And oh all, yeah, all that shit. Um, which, you know, is is fine. It wasn't the most musically stimulating music um, ever, but it was something to connect to. And then once I kind of hit high school and got got my own friends uh, that were a little bit outside of like that real churchy scene, yeah. um, I kind of started listening to more tooth and nail music, like. Really love Slick Shoes and Goaty Hook and um, MXPX, of course. All those, like, you know, kind of skate punk bands. Um, and then I kind of realized that each one of those bands had, like, a, a like a Fat Records analog, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got into, you know, Lagwagon and No Effects and. Yeah. And then, the whole Southern California. Yeah, rock. totally. Just that kind of snot-nosed punk shit um, that I really, you know, I still love. Um yeah, and and then my brother-in-law uh, introduced me to um, uh, "Winners Never Quit" by Page of the Lion. Oh, great, and and oh my god, the best! And um, around that same time, he gave me the Bends mm. from Radiohead too, and Perfect that record. that kind of opened up. Yeah, and that was right before. So, so that was like '97. It was right before OK Computer came out. Ugh, so it was a perfect record as well. Oh my gosh. When that came out, it was a game changer. It, it really was. It was even still like I, some of the best records ever recorded, I think, came out in like 97, 98. Oh, yeah, man. Um, Absolutely. And then like Shake, Shape of Punk to Come came out right around then. Yep. And it was like, it just opened up like, oh, not all cool music has to have that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to skateboard and like break my shins just to uh, fit in. That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Um, but go ahead. No, I cut you off. I apologize. Oh, uh, and so, anyways, right around that time, I also saw I saw Page of the Lion and uh, Starflyer Fifty Nine and this band Ooh, called yeah. Seldom. Uh, they toured through my hometown and played this little coffee shop, and uh, it was the first show. I remember being like, this is, this is like transcendent is to yeah, me. Yeah. yeah it, it was, and they, they were just incredible, man. What a great tour. I mean, I've oh seen Starflyer out, I don't know how many times and Pedro quite a few times as well. And it's like, they never get old. They just, they never, they're timeless. None of them, not a single Starflyer or Pedro song is like a bad song ever. Like yeah. they don't write bad songs. It's insane. Yeah. 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 That's rad, man. Um, yeah. So let's touch on um, number one gun for a little bit. Um, yeah, I I was never a massive fan. I knew who they were. I sure had heard you know kind of the songs, and I knew they were kind of just you know a solid you know pop rock or pop punk or whatever you want to call it band. Totally. And I've always I always appreciated. It. I just you know I was more into the hardcore heavy stuff at the time. But sure, kind of uh, maybe tell me kind of how that was for you joining that band and how things were with the band. Yeah, totally. Um, so. Uh, when I was in high school, that my punk rock band in high school, um, we ended up playing a couple shows with, or a bunch of shows actually, with Number One Gun because we were both sort of like the Christian youth group rock scene, and um, and Jeff, the singer of Number One Gun, kind of took us under his wing and uh, recorded our first album for us, and and uh, yeah, put us on a bunch of cool shows with them. And uh, yeah, I think just kind of getting to know him, he he recognized that like I was I'm not like a lead singer guy necessarily at heart, but I I'm pretty good at background vocals and can kind of pick up whatever I needed to on guitar or bass or whatever. So when they were um, like I said, they lost a guitar player. Uh, I was nine I was 19 at the time, and uh, they were looking to go on tour. I think they had just booked a tour opening for. Uh, um, supertones actually. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back. Uh, and it was right around Christmas. Gosh, this must've been 2003, I think. Yeah. 2003. Uh, yeah. Christmas to end of 2003. 
Um, and the, they had a, a, a tour booked for, I want to say February. So, um, so they, they hit me up and, uh, gave me a few days to kind of think about it. And I decided to switch from Sherwood back to number one gun or back to Chico anyways. Um, and, uh, yeah, they had had, um, a record come out on floodgate records, which yeah. is Tim, Love Tim, Tim's, Tim's label. Yeah. Tim is a, a prince. Always love that guy. <laughs> He is um, a print. <laughs> and uh but it was a one-off and and the imprint uh, that uh, that first record was on kind of folded after we put our or well actually there was a couple other records they put out but it was just sort of a not a long long-standing record label um so we were shopping around we were talking to matt the mats at mono versus stereo and, oh yeah, yeah. um uh, a few different like Christian labels, and but I think we all kind of just felt the gravitational pull towards Tooth and Nail, just because like they were putting out such phenomenal records at yeah. that point. Like Under Oath had just come out, Amberlin, and Further Seems Forever was like all of our favorite band. Yeah. So um, yeah, it just felt like Tooth and Nail was the obvious choice, and uh, and I think it was it was the correct one. It was that was kind yeah. of our scene. That's that's where we fit. So absolutely. Um, so yeah. Was uh, what was the touring like with that? Once you got on Tooth and Nail, was it? Do you feel like your fan base increased, obviously, or was it? I'm, you know. Oh, totally. It's such a. I mean, compared to the platform that we had with with Floodgate, which was great, um, it's just scaled down a little bit compared to Tooth and Nail. So when we put out that first Tooth and Nail record, Promises for the Imperfect, um, I mean, it got amplified way more than our first record did. So, yeah, we got offered a lot more tours. Um, yeah, it was, a kind of a, a level, a level up experience, you know? Yeah. Just a little bit more credibility in the scene. Who did you record that record with on, on tooth and now that was a sprinkle. Oh, up at, man, at love, the compound. I love him. Yeah. He's fantastic, man. Oh he's my gosh. A once give a very rare talent, man. Oh man. I loved poor old Lou. So it was like anything, He's ever ever since I've you know discovered him, I've been a massive fan. Totally, he's just, he's, he's got a brilliant mind. He does, man, and he he really knows how to like bring the best out of musicians. It's kind of a Rick Rubinish kind of quality, like not not. It's not that it's terribly technical. He just reads people well or something. Yeah. I don't. I can't put my finger on it, but he's he's an inspiration to me. He's got the touch. He does. He's got that Midas touch, man. <laughs> he's got the touch for sure. <laughs> um so okay so that record comes out touring's good yeah is that kind of how long were you in the in the in the band at that point like uh when did you start to kind of maybe phase yourself out was you you've left after that record correct well yeah so we actually broke up um at the end of that tour cycle um we were all just worn out and yeah. we we're having some personal you know personnel problems uh sure. and it, it kind of came to a head we were on tour with um with project 86 and it was just kind of a weird fit for us their fans yeah. didn't really care for us um and they were the headliners so our fans were you know a little standoffish so anyways it was just a little bit of a demoralizing kind of tour and we had this one festival that we were going to fly out from pennsylvania to california for that was going to kind of pay for this like money losing tour we were on so it was like our safety net was this this one fly date and then um one of the guys in the band just kind of had a breakdown and was like i can't fly i've got crazy anxiety and we're like that sucks dude because we can't keep doing this if we <laughs> like we literally can't keep going on this tour if if we don't get this paycheck and yeah uh, and it just kind of broke all of us at the at, at a certain point in in philadelphia we we uh it came to a head and, and, um, two of us quit that night and then it just wow. kind of fell apart. Yeah. Was, was that hard or was that uh, a hard situation or a hard conversation? It was def Yeah, it was definitely a hard conversation. We, we all kind of like hung out at the hotel and kind of rotated through the rooms, sort of like what the fuck is happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but it was also like, there was some dysfunction in the band that was starting to kind of boil into, into some pleasant no, and, and um, yeah, it, it it was it was hard, but it was 
it was uh, necessary. I think at least for me, it was it was just kind of felt like the end of a the right time to yeah. call it a the, no, it makes the end. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's so no hard when, feelings or anything. Yeah, that's tough when you're like friends with someone and you're in business with someone and and it starts to kind of rear its ugly head from time to time and personalities and you know it all. Yeah, you know. It is. I mean, it's a cliche and people say it all the time, but it's like being in a band like that is kind of like having four big, hairy girlfriends, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's no, you it have to kind of negotiate those uh, those relationships in a very like emotionally intelligent way. And, and you know, a bunch of 19 year old. Kids, yeah, exactly. Sometimes that's, yeah, the age is everything. I mean, it really. Yeah. You know, that makes... yeah, we didn't know what the, what the hell we were doing. <laughs> we got the no. music side down, but. But yep. the interpersonal stuff, we were just immature yep. little little shits. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally understand that. Um, so band breaks up. Is that yep. when you start to say, I want to do my own project? Or, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I guess how did, did Tooth and Nail just kind of say, hey, I want to put this out? Or how did that whole thing materialize? Yeah, so uh, Number One Gun signed a, a, a one guaranteed album with two options, um, meaning – if uh, Tooth and Nail had the first rights of refusals for uh, for three albums, whether or not we um, broke up. So basically, when we we called it quits, I started I started writing a bunch of just like kind of folky, you know, sad yeah. bastard songs. And and um, Jordan, the drummer and Number One Gun, was interested in playing them with me. So so he uh, demoed them out with me and. Uh, our A&R guy, John Dunn at, at Tooth and Nail, um, wanted to hear him. I sent him a few demos, and he, he really liked them and decided to uh, offer us um, the second option on our number one gun contract. So okay. um, basically, they uh, they yeah, we just negotiated. We, we weren't really interested in touring. We were pretty worn out and like kind of had a little PTSD from that last yeah. run. So we were like, Hey, we're not, we don't want to put like a ton into this. We both, both tooth and nail and me and Jordan agreed. Like, this is just going to be kind of a side project, like yeah. low key thing. Cause we don't want to spend nine months on the, on the road supporting it. So they gave us a little tiny budget. Um, and, uh, they told me that I could spend that on a producer, which, uh, they had Jason Martin from Starflyer lined up if, if I wanted him. Wow. Um, or I could buy my own gear, do it myself, and they'd have someone mix it. Um, so I opted for the second sure. second option, and Jason actually ended up mixing mixing that first record. So. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I was I'm such a big fan, so it was such a dream to have his Absolutely. input. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then then we we did one tour. We promised Tooth and Nail we'd we'd do one tour, and Emery took us out for. Yeah, his, I actually his, saw that tour. No, oh, did you? Yeah, I was in Lawrence, Kansas at the Granada, I think it oh, was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know the Emory guys at that point, but I, I went I, from a buddy of mine, and I, that book, he booked it, so he put me on the list, and I was in the area. So I was like, well, let's go. Oh, and it was really? awesome. It was really cool. Yeah, it was, and I saw Chris playing with you that night. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I was, and I, I caught up with him. And um, but yeah, that was awesome. That's kind of how I just, I had heard you guys, heard of you guys, and I, I primarily wanted to see you guys. Um, mm. So yeah. that's kind of why I wanted well, going. That's awesome. Oh, I'm flattered, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was such, that, that was such a fun tour. It was it was so novel to do like these these rooms and like yeah. these shows in a completely different environment. The number one gun, you know, like got to kind of redefine what we wanted it to be. So it was it was really great, I and mean, we became such good friends. Uh, Ruth was on that tour too, and uh, yeah, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we hit it all. Uh, we all hit it off with with everybody on that run. It was really fun. Um, that's that's rad. Yeah, I, I just re vividly remember that show being. All, it wasn't at all acoustic or uh, something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We we played uh, a couple songs electric, but for the most part, it was I was playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. And yeah. Every, everybody else was fully unplugged. So. Very yeah. cool. Well, I want to kind of go into that first record uh, that you talked about. I really love that record. I, that I really atta attached to that one uh, when it came oh, out. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I just thought Thanks. the songwriting was phenomenal, and I just and you know I'm a big Jason Martin fan, but I'm glad you did record it because I love how raw it is. I love how it sounds. I really do. 
Um, oh, thanks, so kinda, man. Kinda, tell me about that record. What what was influencing you at that time? Uh, what records maybe were you listening to then? Because I can kind of hear some, but totally, yeah. I mean, at that point, um, I had kind of gotten a little burnt out on on the emo like real wall of sound, you know, big big records. So I and was really attached to those like early Pedro records where you could kind of hear that it, they were homemade and like mm-hmm. just crafted with love and maybe not great gear. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to go that minimal, minimal ra- route and like was listening to a lot of like, I don't know, Suf John Stevens and oh, Danny yeah. Gerardo and like love a lot of these. Yeah. A lot of these amazing like acoustic song, singer songwriter types that, told stories with their lyrics yep. and wasn't just like love songs or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I was listening to a lot of that, a lot of Radiohead, a lot of, um, what else was, was in heavy rotation back in those days. Um, actually kind of a fair amount of like post-punk stuff, you know, the Mars Volta had just come out yeah. so, and I was obsessed with that first record. Oh my Great God. Record. Um, so yeah, so kind of an eclectic mix, but pretty singer songwriter heavy stuff um and then jordan uh the drummer he's uh i mean he's a straight up dave roll john bottom type heavy hitter type so uh having his touch of a little bit more of this like kind of in your face rock and roll drumming with these like kind of sensitive laid back guitar acoustic guitar jams was just kind of what our sound ended up becoming and uh, what did, just kind uh, of evolved from there. I know you said John Jonathan Dunn lo- loved it. What did Tooth and Nail think about the record? I think you know the first record. I think they were all fairly, um, they pretty tempered reactions to it. I think it was that nobody didn't nobody uh, at least communicated that that they didn't care for it, but it, it didn't really garner a whole lot of excitement from yeah. the staff. And I think that's partially because we were only going to be a part-time band. Yeah. You know, and you're not weren't. touring. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. they're not going to ma- any, make any money on us. So, um, but our second record, I know that the staff really enjoyed, um, a lot more when it, we went a little bit more of like a indie rock route and less singer songwriter type. Um, yeah. I was going to so, go next. is going to hit that one next. So tell me about that record. How kind of what, what was, how long after, uh, love is for the rich was that like, did you take quite a bit of time or, yeah, so it was it was two two about mm, about two years um, between the two records. So, "Love Is for the Rich" came out in uh, two thousand seven, and um, the "Popular Mechanics" came out in 2009. Um And by that point, I had started working in a commercial recording studio, so I had access to way better gear, and I was a little bit more confident with mixing. So I tra- I mixed it myself, and um, and then had it mastered uh, professionally by uh, Troy. Glessner, who's okay. my yeah. my favorite, he's great. Yeah, I've heard um, his name. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's done a bunch of tooth and nail stuff. Um, so yeah, it was just a little bit more. I had a lot more confidence going into that second record. Just you know, been there before. Um, uh, the first record was literally just me and our drummer. That's it. Um, yeah. No no one else touched the production at all. Uh, but the second one, I, I had other musicians come in like a, you know, a violin player and mm-hmm. just a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, I, my, I guess the production I think is the biggest difference. Yeah. I just knew what I was doing a little bit better. <laughs> no, it makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, you can yeah. definitely, there's a drastic difference between the two, but it's still totally the same, you know? Yeah, totally. And all those, the first, the first album were literally the first song I ever I ever wrote by myself that wasn't like part of a, you know, emo band or punk rock band. Um, all of those songs were just like my very first attempt at like writing lyrics and melodies and stuff. So it was it was very I was very reserved with that first record, and then felt felt a lot more confident with the second yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you said you weren't touring, but were you playing shows around town or were you? Yeah, totally. We played a bunch around Northern California, um, became kind of a regional, regional act, but, uh, never really left. I mean, we did a, a couple West coast runs here and there, but you know, nine times out of 10, if we were playing, we're going to be in Chico. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, did you get in? Did you feel like, oh, like you said, Tooth and Nail probably, probably liked that record better, but did you get any feedback from, um, you know, like websites or anything like that? Any, like, yeah, know? yeah, we got, we got some love, absolutely. Um, all right, we had a single called, um, uh, Death Penalty that, that got on. Song. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, a lot of people actually reached out and uh, some good blog reviews and uh, 15 was on a, a couple of samplers, which is our kind of the one like kind of dancey track on it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but um, but like I said, like their, their promotional budget for it was pretty non-existent. So yeah. it flew under the radar for the most part. Yeah. Um, people people who know it generally were like kind of tooth and nail super fans or just kind of stumbled across it. Yeah. But, well, yeah. I'm sure you're proud of those records. I mean, they're absolutely yeah, they're fantastic. I just thanks, man. I definitely feel like you guys were a band that you know I feel like should have been more. But I get not wanting to be on the road. I, I mean, that's like comes with the territory, <laughs> you know. Totally, totally. And there, I mean, I mean, there have definitely been moments where I'm like, I I wonder what could have happened if we gave it a real shot, you know. But yeah, at at the same time, like. I'm I'm proud of those those records and and we got to be like a really good local band, you know. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. So. No, no, not at all. Um, so after uh, Popular Mechanics, um, d- did you guys leave Tooth and Nail? Is that kind of how did you in, did a you know independent? Yeah, yeah. So um, that was like I mentioned earlier. That was the end of our three album contract. Um, fulfilling the the number one gun contract so yeah um we it kind of, it was weird it we kind of, it was kind of just unspoken like we started writing new songs or i started writing new songs and uh i was sent one or two to john and he was like these are cool and then no follow-up and so we were just finally finally like well we own all the all the recording gear that we need we can do this without having to get a budget yeah might as might as well and i was still working at that studio at that time for the next um, for that EP. So yeah, the budget thing was, was a non-issue and, um, yeah. So we just kind of decided to do it ourselves and we never really heard from <laughs> tooth and nail. Again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, yeah, well. yeah, I mean, they were in that. And at that time too, they were going through some pretty major, you know, like the, the scene was changing pretty oh, dramatically. Absolutely. Everybody absolutely. was like, I don't know what's like Napster was just changing the game. So, yep. So they weren't super super stoked about like spending money on something that wasn't a guaranteed return. Yeah. I get it. And there's absolutely no ill will. Like they were have sure. always treated us so well. So That's awesome. I have nothing but good things to say. So is that when you started writing was it Diamonds and Pearls was next, right? Or Yeah, that's Diamonds So kind of tell me about that record and uh, obviously you were kind of on your own time frame and you know doing your own thing. What what kind of what was that whole thing like? So that was the first time that um, the guys that play live ended up recording with us. So everybody played their own parts, and we we kind of wrote a bunch of that record together. Um, and it was, uh, I mean, you can kind of tell that it's more of a band-focused record rather than just sort of like a guy with an acoustic guitar. It's a lot more, kind of not aggressive music, but, you know, more upbeat, a yeah. little bit, um, you know, just kind of typical indie rock more electric guitar, less, less ballads, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was our attempt at, at like trying to be like, this is a band band now. Yeah. You know? Like everybody, every, everybody contributes and it went, it went well, but it was slow going, you know, like sure. Everybody was, nobody in that band really knew what the roles were to be filled. Cause I had been kind of a tyrant about like songwriting and, up until that point, like I had just recorded everything on the record and then just shown everybody what to play. So it's a bit of a learning curve, but I think I think it's one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, there's a couple great. of songs on there that I really love still, and um, yeah, but it 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 was definitely like a, a a lot more effort went into that record than than any of the other records. I think just because yeah. it was a new new approach to it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, did you, I know you said the band kind of was more involved in it did, for like, do you usually just come up with the songs and they kind of write around it or do you all just kind of get in a room and say, Hey, let's, let's do this. Well, with that, with that record, we, there was 
two or three songs that we did, we fleshed out from scratch together as a band in the room. Um, I'm not great at writing that way. So I kind of have to be in my own little hole and sure. Um, sit down with lyrics and smoke a cigarette and all that stuff. So, no. um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a shift in the way that surrogate operated, uh, at that point. For yeah, sure. It was, um, and now, now we kind of do a hybrid, like everybody plays their parts. Um, but I, I kind of, we, I kind of reverted back to like, I'm just going to demo out everything and we can kind of fine tune it sure. together. Sure. So it's, it's kind of somewhere in between now, but that was kind of the pendulum hitting the furthest point, um, for that record. Um, I know obviously you guys were independent, but was there any labels hitting you guys up at that time or were you just kind of like, let's, let's just do it. There was, um, at that point, um, Matt hoops from, from mono versus stereo hit me up. It really liked, uh, there was a song on that record called can't go home. That was, had been circulating. Um, I think I put it up on YouTube as just yeah. sort of a goof or whatever. Um, and he really liked it. And we'd kind of began to to negotiate, but then it, the same issue kind of came up like, oh, you guys aren't willing to tour. That's kind of a deal yeah. breaker for us. And at that point, like we were all married and like half of us had houses and date, you know, like teacher yeah. jobs and shit like that. And so, bills. And bills. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so really, I mean, even I at that point couldn't really tour. So it was just kind of a, it stalled out. So yeah, just decided to keep going. And, and at that point with a, a band's third record, it's not a clean slate, you know, like there's a reason there's going to be questions of like, why didn't you sell any records records, on your first two releases, you know? So you kind of have a stink on you at that point and that's fine. It was, it was still, it just, it it cleared the way for us to really lean into owning everything, you know, just like we get to do exactly what we want when we want. And, uh, that that's fun. I like that. Was that record all just on digital or did you do physical copies or I'm... that record? Yeah, actually I have about 10 feet away from me. I have boxes and boxes. That's awesome. Yeah. If you want one, I'll send you. Yes. I, I would love, I would love that actually. <laughs> you got it. That's awesome. Um, so how long after diamonds and pearls did you start? I mean, were you just kind of living life, you know, doing your thing and then you started doing post heroic. Yeah, so post-heroic um, was a little bit of a fraught situation because Jordan moved to a different city, so he he quit the band for that album. And we didn't really know. We were trying out uh, drummers around town, and nothing was really clicking. So we we ended up really piecemealing that album together. Like, all four of the remaining members played drums on at least one track on that album. And um, I had quit working at that recording studios and set up my own shop and had some pretty questionable gear at that point. So I was getting used to like a new room and a new system and all this stuff. So that one, that one's I, some of my favorite songs that I've, I've written are on that album, but the production on that album just kind of makes me cringe still. Um, and, and just the, the amount of effort that went into that album to sort of cover up the fact that Jordan wasn't with us anymore. Mm-hmm really kind of left a, a sour taste in my mouth. So that song I have, or that album, I have some really complicated feelings about, <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. It's, you know, it's a document of, of where we were at the time. So yeah. Um, and what year was that? Gosh. So that was, I want to say 2013, maybe yeah. 2014. It was a little bit longer between those, those albums than the, uh, the previous two, but yeah, or three. <laughs> Um, did you feel like, um, you know, like, again, you're not touring, you're running these records. Did you feel like you wanted to, I don't know, maybe just, I guess, what was your goal? Were you just like, I just want to write, write these records for me. Were you like, I want to write these, like kind of what was your headspace like? Yeah, it's, it was, it was very, um, it's kind of a myopic approach to it. Like I, I was well aware of like the limitations and I didn't want to put together a band um, that could tour, but with different personnel than the people who are like truly in the band. There's, there's like, I know a lot of, a lot of bands do that. And just, that just sounded like, um, I don't know, a road I didn't want to go down. So yeah, I mean, it did, it was a little frustrating knowing like, um, 
that there's a real limit to the exposure that these songs were going to have. And yeah, I'm not a great self promoter. So getting like an online buzz is sort of unattainable for me, <laughs> like outside of <laughs> like a, a machine, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was a little frustrating. Like, and I, I kind of just had to turn that part of my brain off a little bit of, uh, when I was writing those songs, just, just to be like, I, I want to put out something, you know, yeah. like, and this is just the smoothest, easiest route to do that. So, um, but it was, it was a, a little deflating just knowing like there's a world in which this could have been heard by a lot more Absolutely. people. Absolutely. I agree with that. I, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, things happen for a reason, obviously. And, you know, you're in a position now where you're being able to do what you're doing. But I, I mean, yeah, that, I think that's like the hardest part is like so many artists and bands that have been so uh, these records, some of these records, not yours in particular, but records will never be heard because there's just right. no, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then there's a billion bands now. So that's like even worse. It's like, there's so much white noise. Yeah. Uh, like every, yeah. Any, anybody can pay five bucks and put an album on Spotify or whatever. Yep. And that's, that's amazing because the barrier to entry is so low, but it also, the, the signal to noise ratio is yep. insane. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's bittersweet to have uh, access like this because yeah, it is it's it is so smooth and easy to put out our own music, but yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a noise noise ocean out there. Yep. So um, after that record, is that kind of when you started playing with the Emory guys, or yeah, uh, they how, so, how did that materialize? That was um, so they. I, we just kind of kept in touch after they took surrogate out. Um, you know, we check in when they were in Northern California, I'd come to their shows or whatever. And, um, and then they, they had heard some of the recordings that I did for surrogate and, um, they were looking to find somebody to do a recording for Devin's solo project. Um, oh, nice. yeah. And so they, Matt hit me up out of the blue one day and was like, Hey, would you be interested in like basically being Devin's producer and backup band? Um, so we, you could like do it in the box, just completely create this album, um, from the song, take the songs that he wrote and then just do all the production yourself. And then we could just pay you a producer's fee. Uh, so I did, and I hired Jordan, the drummer from surrogate to, to drum on that album and, and, um, yeah, put this, put that record out and just kind of kept in contact. And then, um, when Devin came back after his hiatus, um, which is when we did that record um he was i think he was not touring with emory or just starting to tour with them again yeah um and they decided that they didn't want to play with um tracks they didn't want to have dave on a click anymore um because they had the second guitar just piped in through like a you know an ipad yeah and they wanted to be able to do a little bit more improvising and dynamic changes and stuff so they hit me up and I, I learned the songs and they flew me out to, uh, to rehearse. And the first day that we rehearsed, uh, Matt's mom passed away. Mm. So we canceled the tour and I flew right home. <laughs> oh but, uh, but it was, it was an intense, intense time. I was, I was, it was a pretty kind of a baptism by fire to be honest. Um, and Matt, I mean, Matt was so gracious with me and, and in the moment he was, he did so well, like posing himself and yeah. keep it keeping things together but it was such a dark time for him so i bet it was yeah so a couple couple months later we resumed and i flew back out and we we did a tour and uh yeah i haven't looked back since those guys are great guys I oh my them. god they are they're all some of my favorite people in the world yeah. man yeah i would agree with that excellent um so and also on uh, you're playing with saves a day as well right yeah yeah kind of randomly um, how did that happen? And, you know, tell me kind of how that, that went. Yeah. So, um, back in, gosh, I think it must've been 2002 or 2003. Uh, Chris Conley, the singer for saves, um, met a girl in Chico where, where I grew up and got married, moved here, started a family. And, uh, he came to a few surrogate shows and liked, like my songwriting and reached out and, and then, um, we became friends and we started playing in a nineties cover band together. Oh, wow. Um, what was that called? We were called uh tripping on a hole in a paper heart. Is mouthful. that from, uh, is that from, uh, what's y the band? Yeah. It's, I think it's Soundgarden. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh no, um, Stone Temple Pilots, right? So yeah, that's yeah. right. SCP. Yeah. I'm like, my bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just goofy for fun. We learned, uh, I don't know, like three hours worth of music and, uh, and with, uh, Trevor Sellers who played bass and number one gun played, uh, played bass in that band. And, um, and then it was the same kind of thing. They, uh, Chris was at that time playing guitar and singing in saves and he just wanted to sing, go back to how he used yeah. to do it. And, um, we have a similar vocal range. So, uh, I was able to harmonize with him in our, like our cover band pretty well. And he was looking for somebody who'd be able to do some backup vocals too. So he asked me to, to try out. And so I learned a bunch of songs and, and, uh, yeah, started, started playing with them. And you started playing with them around that time or when did you start playing with them? So that was, uh, Emery. I joined Emery in 2016, the beginning of 2016. And my first saves the day tour with, I think in 2018. So oh, wow. a year and a half later or so is when I started playing with them. Man, that's cool. How, how, how are those? Uh, like, I guess kind of talk about maybe some of the tours that you've done with the, with those and like what, uh, what the shows were like. Yeah. Yeah. So it was right at the tail end of, of them touring, um, in a real traditional way. So, uh, I did a handful of like five week tours with them. Um, we, we did one with, um, co-headlining one with Joyce Manor, which was amazing. Wow. Super fun. Um, we did a, a tour with Kevin Devine and Ann Horace, both, uh, definitely worth checking out if you, if you haven't yeah, heard, yeah. heard them, they're, amazing musicians and it's just i mean i don't know saves the day is just such a special band like absolutely everybody has a relationship with with stay what you are or through yep. being cool or in reverie can't or something like yeah yeah can't slow down yeah exactly and it means so much to so many people and, and having i don't know just being connected and, and being on stage with those guys that have uh you know just the, the amount of respect Totally. That the scene has for that band is, is insane. It's really just kind of breathtaking. I, I bet it is. What's it like playing some of those, some of those bangers? Like, Oh dude, <laughs> when we, I mean, one of my favorite songs in high school was, uh, was at your funeral and oh. like we opened or closed every show with that song. And I got to sing the, like the, the harmonies on the chorus. Unbelievable. And the little echo in the, in the verse, like, uh, and it was just so surreal. I like, I, I literally it remember being like, 17 or 18 when that album came out and like going on a camping trip with my friends and like figuring that out on guitar and we all just like sc screamed it at the top of our lungs out in the orchard you know the the uh the forest and so yeah it was it was a total blast total dream come true and i'm just a fan of his his songwriting and yeah. his talent it's it's insane he's so good that's so what a cool what a cool uh you know like you said singing in the forest and then like what 20 years later you're playing yeah with them <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we just did, um, we just, did the th through being, uh, no, Stay What You Are in, in, in its entirety in, um, in Chicago and Denver and New Jersey as just like kind of special dates. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I don't know, learning every one of those songs was such, such a, a surreal I pleasure, you know, it, it really, really special time for me. So That's yeah, I'm, really cool. I'm forever grateful for those guys. That's really awesome, and they're they're not touring much yeah. at all, right? They're just doing flyouts and stuff. Yeah, the the only thing that I know about this year are some festivals and some fly dates. I think we're gonna try to do an in reverie, um, re or not reunion, but special show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just play that that one front to back, which is one of my favorite records. I know Great it's record. it's it it's a polarizing one, um, for for some folks, but um, I think yeah, I'm really looking forward to learning some of those those weird. Beatles style. Um, oh, absolutely. Compositions that he wrote back then is yeah. He definitely. Trippy. Uh, I love him. Yeah, he definitely. Um, it, uh, yeah, he put himself in a position where the the old fans were like, "What the hell is this?" And then I know, <laughs> and it opened up a whole other world, you know. Yeah, I mean, people. Yeah, I feel like died in the wool. Like, can't slow down through being cool. Fans have a a kind of a hard time with it, but. I, I just love it. I just think it's it's one of their most unique, un, un, underrated albums, yeah. if you ask me. But, good record. you know, to each their own, right? For Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Space Mountain. I, I, I know you, this is your collection over the years, but I, I, you know, when you put it out recently, I 
I listened to it nonstop for about two weeks. Like the, oh I love gosh. it. It's fan. I, I really, you probably got 30 cents from me on Spotify. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, but I really did. I like went out of town uh, for work and I, and I, you know, drive around, you know, doing like inspections and I just popped that record on and I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I know, oh again, God. it's a collection, but I, I love, I love the way it sounds. I love everything about it. So kind of tell me about that record and then those songs. Oh yeah. Um, well, Jeremy, that, that means a lot, man. Thank you. I know that you have a, a, a very, uh, accomplished taste, so I'm, I'm well, flattered, you. Well, thank you. but, um, yeah, so that was, um, that was a collection of songs written between, uh, 2016 and two and 2022, I guess. Um, and it was, uh, <laughs> it's a little like, um, I was, uh, you remember that scene in uh, The Wedding Singer when Adam Sandler's showing, I think it was uh, Drew Barrymore, this song that he wrote oh, um, yeah. the... during a breakup. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Me too. And he's, he's it's all sweet and quiet at the beginning. And then I, was it was the cure. I was listening to yeah. a lot of The Cure when I wrote this. Exactly. Uh, that's what that album is for me because I got a divorce in the middle of that. Ah. that. Um, so the first you know handful of songs I wrote are kind of like, you know, just sort of op- awkwardly optimistic and like sure. a little, a uh, uh, little less than self-aware. But um, and then, uh, yeah, the kind of the bottom fell out, fell out of my marriage, kind of went through some some hard shit. And then uh, it was kind of my, my catharsis, you know, like yeah. like I was really. Yeah, really oh, exercised the demons on a couple of those songs. I can tell now that you've said that. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Yeah. If wrong. I literally, it, you know, lyrically and everything I could, I could see where you're coming from. Totally. Yeah. It was, it was, it is what it is. I mean, like it was, it was what it needed to be for me at that time. I needed to get these, these kind of sentiments out of my head and onto absolutely uh, the paper. But, and it, I, I do look back at some of the, the angstier lyrics and with a little bit of cringe, you know, like, I could have I could have been a little bit more nuanced about like my frustration I guess with like where my personal life was going but uh, it, it's honest you know it, it was yeah. it was from from a place with conviction and like I was feeling those things and um, and I at, at the very least it was at least a snapshot of of true emotion you know absolutely so I stand by that and I I love I I do feel like I uh, production wise I love it. It's That's my favorite. Say, I really think it sounds fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, it feels like kind of the the best presentation of surrogate that I've been able to muster so far. But um, uh, yeah, there's some some little jagged bits of my soul in those songs, uh, man. I bet there are. I bet <laughs> yeah. there are. But hey, you but, know what? It, you know, you, like you got to get those feelings and those words and those thoughts out in some way, shape, or form. Totally. And everyone everyone understands heartbreak. Like I hope. I mean, I don't, I don't think the, the lyric lyrically it's for everybody, but I, I know that at least some people are going to relate to, to be in that spot. So, you know, commiseration, right? We're just looking Absolutely. for a miserable company. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, of all the songs and the records that you've done, I want to know what your some of your favorites or, or the ones that you are most proud of, I guess. Oh, man, that's a great question. Um Gosh, so there's a there's a song on uh, Popular Mechanics, the second surrogate record, um, called Water Tower, and it's it's this silly kind of baroque, yeah, um, acoustic waltz that I wrote um, on that Emory tour. Actually, I was driving driving to Little Rock, Arkansas, and saw a bunch of water towers with the names of cities, and it's it just struck me as this kind of interesting representation of your of your town, yeah, as this like big eyesore, yep. you know, yep. lifted up above the highway. Um, so I I totally anthropomorphized them and made it a little bit of a narrative about like what it w- must be like for this giant who represents this town. And it's that one's it's not musically it's not anything really that special, but it's my some of my favorite lyrics I've ever written because it's just weird and like. I like the the narrative that it talks about and it's, it's kind of cheeky. Yeah. Um, and then there's a song that I wrote, um, on, on, um, diamonds and pearls called can't go home, uh, about this, um, my paternal grandfather was kind of a, a jerk and mm. had a drinking problem and, mm. and beat up, beat up on my dad and my, 
my grandma and stuff. And finally they just like kicked him out and he never went back. And so that was probably the most meaningful song. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's, you know, about, about my family, um, about just sort of being such a bastard that you lose it, you know, lose access to the people that are the most important people to you. You know, a little bit of like a cautionary tale that like, you know, there, but by the grace of God, go I, you know, just like, yeah, keep, keep things in check, man. You gotta, it's a pretty slippery slope. Yeah. Some, some of these bad habits. So no, yeah. I think those two lyrically anyways are, um, are my, yeah, a couple of my favorites. And then, um, I really, I'm really pleased with, uh, how, um, this song called, um, tequila on the tennis court. Oh yeah. That turned out. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a, like a strokes fan. So like getting get to channel some of that kind of like early two thousands garage rock vibe was such a pleasure. And like, yeah, I love, I love to doing that, um, with those guys too. So yeah, those, between those three, those are probably my, uh, my top contenders. And what's your favorite record that you've read? Oh, Space Mountain, of course. <laughs> of course. You're no, on the publicity I, tour. Yeah. No, they're all my children. I love them. Um, I think I, th- I think uh, Popular Mechanics actually is probably yeah. my favorite. It's it's just, um, yeah, just the right, right things at the right time on that record, I think. Yeah. So what's the future for you and Sergey? I know obviously you've got – you're in Emory as well and you guys are doing a new record, but – what are you gonna? What are you planning to do with Surrogate? What's uh, I know you said you guys are new, writing a new Emory record. What's what's going on in the future? Yeah. Um, so uh, Space Mountain is going to be the last Surrogate record. Um, we, I mean, we might do a couple singles here and there in the future, but I'm not planning on recording a new ra- album with Surrogate. Um, we're probably not going to tour. <laughs> it's yeah. We we've kind of become you know, as close to a studio band at this point as, as yeah. And anything else. So, and, and I'm, you know, it's been, we've been a band since gosh, 2006. So Crazy. we're coming up on 17 years as a band. And I think it's just time for a change. I've got some other projects that I'm working on that I'm excited to, to write for and not having that pull mm-hmm. of like, Oh, I need to write the next surrogate record has really kind of freed me up and, taking yeah. some some pressure and anxiety off my plate so i think yeah it, it's what you see is what you get with surrogate at this point um, are those are those projects something you can share or is it something um yeah so one is that that band i was i was talking about at the top bocce um it's me and this couple um uh david uh who played guitar in sherwood david oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah and then his wife sarah sings and uh we're doing, he works in a sync house at, at a sync house, which is a, a company that basically provides music for, uh, film and television. Yes. That's right. You said. And so, uh, so we've got a, a, a licensing deal with his company. So we're, we're, we've already got a couple placements with that band. Um, and it's not necessarily, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of all those songs and, and the project itself. It's a little poppier than I, I tend to, to write. Um, but intentionally, you know, we're, we're trying to fit a, a mood and, and, um, uh, so yeah, there's that as an outlet. And then, um, Dave Powell, the drummer and Emery and I, um, are working on a, a, a punk rock record or it's going to be somewhere between punk rock and hardcore and post rock. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'm writing for that. We're, we don't have a name. We don't have a release date or anything. It's very inf- infantile stages, but, um, that's, that's coming along my two outs right now and then also um yeah i'm contributing a lot with the the new emory emory stuff so when's when's that didn't they just put a record out i felt like last year yeah we did rub some dirt on it last summer did you play on that one quite a bit i did yeah i did i co-produced it with matt and um did a lot of the arrangements um and then uh a lot of the post-production too um so yeah, I was heavily involved with that one. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's great. What? Uh, yeah, I feel like there's been a good vibe about that one. I, I've seen a lot of stuff online about it. I heard yeah. one or two songs. I feel bad I haven't heard the whole record, but it's oh, 
I mean, dude, I, I mean, it's their ninth album. They have a lot of songs. I don't blame you. Good Lord. Um, but that one was fun. Actually, um, Matt had the idea early on that he didn't want to record it the way we had been yeah. for the previous couple al- albums. He wanted to record a live album. And then we actually made a, uh, we documented it. So we recorded that album t- uh, top to bottom in like 90 minutes. Wow. And I, I had a film crew and then put it together as like a, you know, YouTube special. Um, and so, yeah, those performances are what are on the, the final, final version. So it was, a, and I've never recorded that way before. I've never recorded li- live with a band. It's always been kind of piecemeal or, sure. um, in Did the you studio. like it? I loved it. I thought it was, a, yeah, I had a blast. Was it challenging? Very challenging. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty grueling. I mean, we, we rehearsed the hell out of it and, um, but we all live on, you know, different corners of the United States. So it, it all had to. Yeah. So it was a very intense like week before the, (laughs) before the record, but, but it it has, you know, it turned out to be a really cool product and, and, uh, the, the visuals are just the, this guy, um, our, our buddy leaf life, gosh, um, shot it and, uh, and and made it just gorgeous. Is that online? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check it out then. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's all on YouTube at this point. Okay. The paywalls are down. So very Uh, cool. Yeah. Check it out. So when um so since you just put that record out, when's the next one expected? Like what what how how far along is that? Um, the next one of right now we don't even have a um a release date in mind. We're we're just doing demos. I'm actually heading up to Seattle next month to hang out with Dave and Matt and oh cool flesh some some songs out. So I would assume towards the end of the year is when we'll probably put it out. Um, yeah, but but it's it's very early stages. So I, I yeah, really no, I get anything. you. Yeah. Um, touring wise, though, they're, you guys are doing that Hawaii yeah. deal, and then any U.S. tours after that? Tell me about the Hawaii tour. So the uh, it's just a just a festival. It's just a one day oh, okay. um, thing, but it's um, it's a continuation of this series of festivals that we did last year called the Is for Lovers festivals. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is uh, it's owned by the um, the Hawthorne Heights guys. Yeah, that's right. So they're trying to do. I think their goal is to do almost every state at some point, you know? So yeah, we did like Ohio and, um, uh, Colorado, uh, and Oklahoma last year. And then I think they're doing something like 10 states this year in Hawaii is the first one. And I think we'll be on most of those. So what we're, what we're probably going to end up doing is, is do like a lot of those will be back to back weeks. So we'll, we'll fly out, play a festival tour to the next one play the fest then come home. So it'll be a lot of like five yeah. day short runs. Yeah. Um, and I know Devin and our booking agent are, are kind of working on that right now. So, um, we should be hitting most major markets at some point this year. That's awesome. Are you going yeah. to Florida? I, I, I'm positive at some point. Well, you gotta let me know. Cause I would love to come hang of, out. Of course. Yeah. You'll be the first, first to let now. Dude, that sounds so cool, man. What a, what a cool, um, I don't know. I think it's cool that you're in a position, like I said, that you are getting to be creative and do your own thing, but you're being a part of something. And, yeah. you know, you know, it's uh, something that I feel like you're made for, you know, I yeah, it's not lost on me that um, I am beyond lucky to be able to pay my rent doing this this bullshit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought when I was, you know, buying my uh, my first bass guitar at 13 that this would be sort of the trajectory trajectory of my life but man I'm grateful and it, it's it's been like like I said as as much catharsis as I got out of you know music during my divorce it's continued with all these other projects and man it is so healthy for me to be in a creative absolutely yeah it is I'm I am beyond blessed man man I love hearing that that's that's really cool because it's just you know, as a fan and someone who listens, I know what I get from music. So it's cool to hear your perspective and how it is cathartic and how it is something that you need in your life, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I lost my faith a few years back. I'm not, I'm not a religious person at all, but the, the closest thing that I, I experienced to any sort of like supernatural or, or magical experience is that, that, the music and art that I get to be part of the creation of yeah. really seems to have be more greater than the sum of its parts, you know, in terms of like what it gives to me and what it gives to the listeners and people that come to shows. It's like, it's, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. And 
man, it is, I, if I ever take that for granted, you have my permission to just slap me across the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. Um, so we'll start to wind down here. Um, I, and I'm sure everyone knows, but like, where can they find the newest, uh, space mountain record? Um, yeah, uh, it's on obviously on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. Like, is there you got a website that people can go to and support you in that way? Um, we have a, uh, I think we have surrogatemusic.com, but it's, it, I mean, we're such slackers, man. Like, if we were on all the social medias, we'll, we interact with people, of course. If anybody wants to reach out, have any questions or, or comments or anything, we will absolutely read all of them, and get back to to you but um man we're so bad at self-promotion dude dude i get we, it we uh yeah we're on all the all the streaming well, platforms i think people need to hear this record that's kind of what i'm aiming at i well, think it's a fantastic record that that means the world to me jeremy seriously that's and yeah i would love for more people to to get their ears on this this thing i'm really proud of it but you know it is uh it is what it is it's yeah, my man. it's my own little cathartic journal entry so so come on, come on a journey with me. Dear diary. <laughs> yeah, dear diary. Life is shitty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, man, it was so good to talk to you and catch you up. Too, it's yeah. been quite a while. It's probably been, what, five, six years at least. So Yeah, pre-pandemic um, for sure. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. So please uh, keep me in, in touch and, and uh, let me know when, when you're coming my way and, and let's 100%. hang out. I would love to get some beers or whatever. So. Yeah, let's do it, man. I'd Chris, love to come back. You're awesome. Keep at it. They'll hear in these stories. Thank you, Jeremy. All right, man. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good, man. Bye. Thank you again for tuning into this latest episode. Uh, I really appreciate all the listeners. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in. And um, also, I'd like to thank Chris Keen for his time. He's an incredible artist, and I really enjoyed this conversation. It's just cool to hear his perspective and his thoughts on music in general. So, uh, again, thank you, Chris. Uh, check out the new records uh, from Surrogate, uh, Space Mountain. It's incredible. You will love it. Um, as well as the newest Emory record, Rub Some Dirt on It. I finally listened to it after I talked to him, so it was really cool to realize uh, you know how much uh, input he had on that record as well so thank you again the listener and thank you for uh, the opportunity so thanks guys and we've got some amazing artists coming up so uh, here we go